Um, we're in this series called Not My Jesus. Uh, last week we talked about how Jesus interacted with religious leaders and, and that we have this, this picture, this caricature of what, what that looked like and then what really happened. Today we're, we're uh, talking about people who pursue Jesus, what, what that looks like. Um, we want in this series to help us identify some things that we think about Jesus or that if we're honest with ourselves, if we really take a look deep inside, we think, you know what, I think that this is probably how Jesus would have acted because that's the way that I would act in that situation. And so uh, what we want to do is look at that and say, wait a second, no, that's not really the Jesus of Scripture. We want to see what the Jesus of Scripture did and said and how he interacted with people. So, uh, so we're talking about pictures of Jesus. When I was growing up, these were the pictures of Jesus that I remember. Anybody relate to those? They were in my grandma's house, in my Bible, that kind of thing. Those are great pictures, but that's not my Jesus. In an effort to make him calm, the, the, the painter Solomon, um, really, I think, kind of makes him look kind of effeminate and weak. Um, and maybe not for you, but me, I've got a, I, there's some problems. He, he doesn't look at all in those pictures like a guy who could build furniture like a guy who could hoist ceiling joists, like a guy could hang out with fishermen and throw nets and do all that manly kind of stuff. That, that's, that's not my Jesus. Um, just outside Monroe, Ohio, there's a church called Solid Rock Church. They have property on the east side of Interstate 75, if you know that stretch of land. Um, they're property borders this mammoth um, yard sale kind of a place. And uh, just a couple of years ago, they opened up a casino just real close to where the church is as well. And the church decided they would like to have this picture of Jesus that they could display for all of the community. So they commissioned this statue that they titled King of Kings. And in 2004, this statue was uh, put outside Solid Rock uh, Church. Uh, it's called King of Kings. The only problem is nobody calls it King of Kings if you're from that part of the country. They call it Touchdown Jesus. Touchdown Jesus. That's right. Hey, touchdown. Um, actually, a lot of people in that area, um, because of a comedian from Michigan who wrote a song, call it Big Butter Jesus uh, as well, because it looks like this sculpture made out of butter at a state fair. On, on June 14th of 2010, Touchdown Jesus was struck by lightning and burnt to the ground. Uh, and so Solid Rock started this process of saying, okay, what are we going to do? What are we going to put in this place? They commissioned all kinds of models, and they created a new statue that they called Light of the World. Looks Monday. This is the Light of the World statue. That name hasn't really been embraced by the community either. Um, most people call it Hug Me Jesus. Which is kind of a nice concept. Uh, other people call it um, Footlong Jesus. Uh, needs a subway sign on it. The name that I really like, though, is the name I really like is Fisherman Jesus. Because when a guy comes back from a fishing trip and you ask, "How was that? What, what size was that fish you caught?" Fisherman Jesus, got it? That's not my Jesus. There, there, there's a whole bunch of people in our culture as well that have a completely different picture of Jesus. One where Jesus is kind of good with anything and everything. You want to lie? That's okay. You want to cheat? That's okay too. You want to use people to get ahead? You want to be in control of every aspect of your life and determine what's right or wrong? 
Jesus is cool with that. You know, that's the picture. Not my Jesus. We're talking today about people who pursued Jesus. People who were going after him, who wanted to follow him. And, and the pictures that we have in our mind that we think, you know what, if people were, were pursuing Jesus, what that would look like. People who had questions and they didn't want answers from religious leaders. They wanted to find out directly from Jesus. They wanted to know what Jesus taught, what Jesus thought. That's what we're going to take a look at today. If you've got your Bibles, go ahead and open them up. We're going to start um, in Mark chapter 10. We're actually going to look at four different accounts, four different um, uh, interactions that Jesus has with different people who are pursuing him today. And so we're going to kind of buzz through those. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to take one out of the back of the pew. Um, if you've got a, 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 a smartphone, feel free to download the North Point app, open it up. There's some fill-in-the-blank stuff that's there. There's some questions in the North Point app that, that we hope that you can use in your life group or maybe with your family, or maybe just yourself as you're kind of going, thinking back through the message, that you can ask those questions and talk about them and, and kind of mull that stuff over in your mind. Mark chapter 10, starting in verse 17. As Jesus was on his way, a, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Why do you call me good, Jesus answered. No one's good except for God alone. You know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and your mother. Teacher, the man declared, all these I've kept since I was a boy. Jesus looked at him and loved him. One thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come, follow me. At this, the man's face fell. He went away sad because he had great wealth. If you can, I want you to kind of place yourself in the middle of that story and not just think, oh, yeah, that's the story of the rich young ruler. I've read that before, thought about it before. I want you to think about what the dynamics were in that interaction that Jesus has with the rich young ruler. Um, if you think about it, this rich young ruler is a guy that everybody would have looked up to in the Jewish culture. He was a good guy. He kept the laws. Um, he, was, he was probably had all kinds of leadership potential if he wasn't already a leader. He had resources. He was wealthy. Um, he was confident. He had influence. I, I think um, he probably was good looking. He probably had a, uh, a fine looking robe. He probably had a donkey that got great gas mileage. You know, uh, he, he had it going on. I think he probably even had a full head of hair uh, for some reason. I don't know. And he's pursuing Jesus, this guy that everybody looks to and says, this, this is the guy. He's pursuing Jesus. How would you expect Jesus to respond to that guy? I think if we're honest, we would think that Jesus would say, hey, man, you got it going on. Yeah, come in. I'm going to make it easy. I'm going to accommodate you. Yeah, you got some issues on the side. That's okay. We're not, we're not really going to pay any attention to them. We're going to kind of look past them because you've said that you obey the law. That, that's great. And so uh, you, you would think that Jesus would maybe flatter him and affirm him, that he would say, man, obviously God has blessed you. You've kept the laws. You've, you've got this wealth. You've got, you've got this influence, this stuff that's going on. 
You would think that Jesus would just wrap his arms around him, hug me, Jesus, and embrace him. Maybe Jesus would, would, would have a conversation with him and say, you know what, if you come follow me, I'll give you this particular position. If you give enough money to cover our needs, I might even make you one of the apostles. You would think that most leaders would act like that, but that's not Jesus, right? That's not my Jesus. The response that he got from Jesus was that Jesus clarified very clearly what was at stake. He didn't make it easier. The guy wanted to justify himself, but Jesus didn't make it easier. He said, you've got to keep the law. And the guy said, I've I've kept all those. And Jesus said, here's the thing that you lack. Sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Because he knew that in this guy's heart, the thing that had captured his heart was his stuff. It was his possessions. They were the things that had got in between... um, him and following Jesus completely. Jesus exposed his heart and his motives when he said that, and the scripture says that he went away sad. We do that, don't we? We have some crazy idea that Jesus would be thrilled to have us on his team. We think, you know what, we're, we're pretty good. I go to church. I do the right stuff. I pray before meals. I, re- I read the Bible sometime. I'm, uh, you know what? I'm smart. I got some resources. I got some, some money that I can give to kingdom stuff. I'm young and I have lots of energy. I'm old and I have lots of wisdom. God would be pleased to have me be a part of his team. We honestly believe that if Jesus was picking out teams like in elementary school or junior high, that he'd say, that guy has it going on. I want him on my team. Look at his house. Look at his business. Look at his family. Look at his education. I choose him. Or, or that Jesus would say, look at that woman. She has a PhD. She, she's an incredible leader. She even looks like Eve when I made Eve. She's beautiful. I want her on my team. It reminds me a little bit of Baker Mayfield. Do you know who Baker Mayfield is? He was the quarterback for the Oklahoma Sooners this past year, and he won the Heisman Trophy for the most outstanding football player in college football in 2017. Um, he's an incredibly talented guy. He was, a, he was a part of the NFL Combine a week ago. Um, and so he's working out for all these teams. And, um, and as a part of the Combines, they have um, interviews that they have with these players to just see if they'd be a good fit for their team, that kind of stuff. This year, Cle- Cleveland Browns have the first pick in the NFL draft. The Browns are the NFL's worst team. They're worse than the Lions, okay? Uh, <laughs> they're bad. The, the Browns are bad. And so they ask Mayfield, in, in being this star athlete, this Heisman Trophy, trophy winner, um, what he thinks about potentially being drafted by the Browns. And this was Mayfield's response. If there's anyone who would turn that franchise around, it would be me. They're close. They're very close. They've got the right pieces. I think they just need one guy at quarterback. Me. I think if we're honest, lots of us think like Baker Mayfield that God would be lucky to have us on his side. That we're good. That God, and because God would be lucky to have us on, on his side, he's willing to take whatever would give, even if it's not our all. Hear me. That's not Jesus. 
That's not my Jesus. Luke um, describes a second encounter that Jesus has with a pursuer. Uh, if, you're, uh, if you've got your Bibles out, turn to Luke 19, starting in verse 1. We're going to read about a guy named Zacchaeus, Luke 19.1. Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. A man was there by the name of Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was wealthy. He wanted to see who Jesus was, but because he was short, he couldn't see over the crowd. So he ran ahead and climbed a, a sycamore fig tree to see him, since Jesus was coming that way. When Jesus reached the spot, he looked up and he said to him, Zacchaeus, come down from that tree immediately. I want to stay at your house today. So Zacchaeus came down at once and welcomed, him, welcomed Jesus gladly. All the people saw this and they began to mutter, he's gone to be the guest of a sinner. Zacchaeus stood up and said to the Lord, Look, Jesus, here and now I give half of my possessions to the poor. If I've cheated anybody out of anything, I will pay back four times the amount. Jesus said, Today salvation has come to this house because this man, too, is a son of Abraham. For the Son of Man came to seek and save the lost. If you jump into that story of of Zacchaeus. If you get past the children's song maybe that you learned when you were a kid, you, you've got this respected teacher with all these people who are following him. He's walking down the road, got this entourage, people asking questions and interacting with him. And there's this guy who's despised by all of the Jews, all of the people who are in the crowd. Why is he despised? Because he's a tax collector for Rome. Rome is the conquering nation for the Jews. They're in charge. They have subjugated the Jewish nation. And so while the Jews are there, and they're not in slavery in the sense that we think that you're an individual slave assigned to a person, their nation has been swallowed up by Rome. And Zacchaeus, as a tax collector, had gone to work for Rome. Rome wanted their taxes, and so they appointed tax collectors. They allowed the tax collectors to tax at whatever rate they chose, as long as Rome got their money. So the tax collectors got rich off the backs of the other Jews by taxing them excessively. The Jews hated the tax collectors. And the Romans didn't care about the tax collectors because they were Jews. They were beneath them. Tax collectors had no friends at all. So there's this guy who's, who's pursuing Jesus that nobody wants to be around. He's short and so he can't see Jesus, can't see what's going on. So he runs up ahead on the parade route, climbs up in the tree, and looks down so he can see Jesus. What do you think Jesus' response would be to someone who was so despised by the Jewish nation? I, th I think if we're honest, we would think that if we were Jesus, we would probably choose to not look in the tree. You know, you kind of see in your peripheral vision, there's somebody up there, I'm not going to look there. And then when you realize it's a tax collector, ah, I'm just going to walk past and ignore him. I think that would have made sense for Jesus. Um, I think it would have made sense if Jesus did interact with him that you could have counted on the fact that Jesus would condemn this man. That he would say, what are you doing? What are you thinking cheating your own people? Getting rich on their backs. I think Jesus would have been ready to, to just throw him out. I, I think maybe Jesus would have made fun of him because he was short. You know, who do you think you are? A little short guy? You got a Napoleon complex? What, you know, what's going on? I think, I think that Jesus, bottom line, wouldn't have had anything to do with Zacchaeus. 
Zacchaeus can't bring anything to Jesus. He can't advance his cause. He's not a leader that's going to draw a crowd. Nobody is going to follow him. Why bother with him at all? But that's not the response of Jesus, is it? If you look at that passage of Scripture, if you dive into that and just digest it, some really interesting things happen. Jesus is walking down the road. He's surrounded by people. He looks in the tree, and he looks in Zacchaeus' eyes. This is a guy that the rest of the Jews wouldn't look at because they hated him so much. Jesus looks in his eyes and calls him by name. Zacchaeus, come down. Had Jesus and Zacchaeus met? No. Zacchaeus is pursuing Jesus, and yet Jesus knows his name. It's incredible. Zacchaeus comes down. Jesus talks to him and says, hey, I want to come to your house for dinner tonight. That's a big deal. Jesus treats Zacchaeus with honor and respect, so much so that the people are saying, what's this guy doing? What is Jesus doing with this scumbag, with this guy that we despise so much? Jesus says, you know what? Salvation has come to this guy today because of his heart, because he's pursuing me. Jesus gives him a second chance. Third encounter, Luke chapter 9, just a few chapters away. Uh, Luke chapter 9, beginning in verse 57, says this. As they were walking along the road, a man said to Jesus, I'm going to follow you wherever you go. Jesus replied, foxes have dens, birds have their nests, but the Son of Man has no place to lay his head. He said to another man, Jesus said to another man, follow me. But the man replied, let me first go and bury my father. Jesus said, let the dead bury their own dead. You go and proclaim the kingdom of God. Still another said, I will follow you, Jesus, but first let me go back and say goodbye to my family. Jesus replied, no one who puts his hand to the plow and looks back is fit for, the, is fit for service in the kingdom of God. These, these three guys that, that uh, Luke describes, I want to called just the, the um, wannabe disciples. These are, these are guys who want to follow Jesus. Jesus calls them to follow him, and yet they've all got um, some reservations, some things that they want to do. Um, what do you think Jesus' response would typically be for somebody who said, yeah, I want to follow you? You think Jesus would say, oh, that's great, man, high five, yeah, come. Come be a part of stuff with me. Come join the crowd. Be a part of my kingdom. Go through the process. Let's celebrate that. You know what? Sign up right here. We'll put you into class. We'll put you to work. We'll do all that stuff. You would think that Jesus would just embrace them quickly. Hug me, Jesus, right? Um, but that's not what happens. Jesus says, you know what? If you want to follow me, he says to the first guy, if you want to follow me, you've got to understand that following me means that you will give up all the comforts of life. He says foxes have holes. Foxes have dens. Birds have nests. Son of man, he doesn't have any place to lay his head. You want to follow me? It's going to mean sleeping outside. It's going to mean not living a cushy life. It's going to mean giving up everything for the kingdom. Second guy, Jesus says, come follow me. And the, and, and the guy says, let me go bury my, my dad. I, I, I want to take care of these family responsibilities. Jesus knew that what he was really saying was not about burying his dad at all. It was about being attached to the life that had come from as opposed to following Jesus, no matter what the cost was. To the third guy, the guy, the guy says, you know what, let me go say goodbye to my family. You, I, I want to follow you, Jesus, but let me go say goodbye to my family. 
And, um, and Jesus says, you know what? You can't live in both worlds. If you're going to follow me, you've got to follow me, no matter where that goes, no matter where that takes you. Yeah, you're not going to be disconnected from your family, but following me means that you give up everything to serve me. You've got to count the cost. I've got to have first place in your life. Fourth encounter I want us to look at is in Luke 7, first 10 verses of Luke 7. When Jesus, when Jesus had finished teaching to the, the people who were listening, he entered Capernaum. There a centurion's servant, whom his master valued highly, was sick and about to die. The centurion heard of Jesus and sent some elders of the Jews to him, asking him to come and heal his servant. When, Jesus, when they came to Jesus, they pleaded earnestly with him, This man deserves to have you do this, because he loves our nation. He's built our synagogue. So Jesus went to be with them. Pause just for a second. A centurion was a Roman soldier. So just like Zacchaeus had sold out to work for Rome, the centurion wasn't a Jew. He was a Roman who was put in place in Israel to keep the peace. A centurion had a hundred soldiers underneath him. So this is not a low-level guy. This is an officer with lots of power, lots of authority. He is the picture of who the Jews hated because the Romans impacted their ability to serve God, their ability to practice their religion, their ability to live in freedom. This centurion, he was, a centurion was the picture of their frustration with, with Roman rule. How would you expect, uh, well, let, let's, let's keep reading. Um, Jesus was not far from the centurion's house when, when the centurion sent friends to say to him, Lord, don't trouble yourself, for I don't deserve to have you come under my roof. That's why I didn't even consider myself worthy to come to you. But if you say the word, my servant will be healed. For I myself am a man under authority with soldiers under me. I understand. I tell one to go and he goes. I say to another one, come and he comes. Uh, I say to my servant, do this. And he does it. When Jesus heard this, he was amazed at him. Turning to the crowd following him, he said, I tell you, I haven't found such great faith even in Israel. Then the men who had sent who had been sent, returned to the house, and they found the servant well. Matthew, in describing this encounter, says that the servant was healed at the moment that Jesus commended the centurion's faith. At that moment. How, how would you expect Jesus to respond to a, a Roman soldier, a centurion? I, I think most Jews would have probably tried to just avoid any interaction at all. I think for Jesus having authority, it would have been easy for him to dismiss the request from the centurion. Say, you know what? I'm too busy. I've got other stuff going on. Can't go to your house. You're not even a Jew. I, I, got, I got other things that I have to take on, other things I have to take care of. Maybe, maybe it would have made sense for Jesus to barter with the centurion and say, you know what? I will heal your servant if you do this for me. If you just leave us alone. If you don't bring your soldiers in around us, if you give us some freedom that we don't experience right now, yeah, I'll, I'll heal your servant. Jesus could have bartered with him. Jesus could have just said, you know what, I'm too busy. I've got other stuff going on. And just ignored the request. 
And Jesus could have responded with some really sarcastic, biting comments. Oh, oh, your servant's dying. Now you come to me, right? That makes a a ton of sense. You didn't come to me when everything was good. You didn't come to me, um, you know, when, when we needed your help, when we needed it, when we asked you to go away. Jesus could have responded all kinds of ways. But what does he do? First of all, when the request comes, Jesus honors the request. The centurion sends the guys and says, would you come heal my servant? And Jesus comes to a non-Jewish Roman soldier. That's a huge deal. And Jesus affirms this man's faith. He's amazed by this guy's faith. He says, I haven't seen faith like uh, that that's in the centurion. I haven't seen that kind of faith in any of the Jews who are around. He says it while he's surrounded by Jews who are following him, who are pursuing him. Jesus honors this guy in an incredible way. Four encounters of Jesus who pers- uh, of people who pursue Jesus. Let me let me give you four takeaways from those four encounters for me that that I've just been chewing on this week. Here's the first. Jesus knew the real issues of each pursuer. Jesus knew what was going on in their hearts. With the rich young ruler, he knew what was at stake. He knew it was all about his stuff, all about his treasure. With Zacchaeus, Jesus knew exactly what was going on in Zacchaeus' heart. Even though Zacchaeus was ostracized by everybody else, even though he was all alone, Jesus knew what was in his heart. He saw there. With the wannabe disciples, Jesus knew what was at stake. That even as Jesus called and said, come follow me, even as they said, yeah, we're going to come follow you, that they, that they weren't ready to sell out and follow him completely. Jesus knew what was in the heart of the centurion, even though he was just being passed messages. He wasn't even looking at him. Jesus knew what was in his heart. Jesus knows what's in the heart of each person who pursues him. Second thing is this. Jesus loved each pursuer with an incredible intensity. Uh, In prepping this message, there is one verse in those four passages that that it's just captured me. It's from Mark chapter 10, verse 21, with the rich young ruler. I, I just don't think I had ever realized that in the encounter with the rich young ruler, Jesus says, you know what, you've got to follow all the commands, and the, and the rich young, young ruler says, I've done all that stuff. And it's Mark, Mark 10, 21 says, Jesus looked at him and loved him. And then he said, here's what you need to do. Sell everything you have and give it to the poor. My perception has always been... Um, you know, Jesus' encounter with the rich young ruler is that he was whacking him upside the head. Jesus looked at him and loved him. Jesus has this incredibly intense love for anyone who pursues him. That's so good. Uh, Jesus challenged his pursuers in ways that they didn't anticipate. In each of those four encounters, as the people pursue Jesus, they, they just had to be shocked at what ultimately happened. Rich young ruler came wanting to justify himself. He knew he was a good guy. He knew the law. He knew that he had obeyed the law. Jesus turned everything upside down when he said, sell everything that you have and give it to the poor. Rich young ruler was surprised. He was shocked. What do you think Zacchaeus thought when, when, when Jesus looked at him, called him by name and said, I'm coming to your house for dinner? It, it blew up what Zacchaeus had, had anticipated was going to happen at all. 
Those guys that, that said, you know what, I want to follow Jesus. When Jesus said, no, don't go back to your family. Don't go take care of all that stuff. Do you understand that, that um, if you follow me, Jesus said, it means that you're going to give up all the comforts? I don't think that they expected that at all. With the centurion, um, even though he believed, I, I, don't think, I don't think that he fully expected that Jesus would actually come and heal his servant. Jesus challenged his pursuers. Uh, he, he, he took him places that they didn't anticipate. Um, lastly, he destroyed the assumptions of people that thought they had him figured out. We have this picture of Jesus in our minds. We think that we know what he's going to do. We think that we know how he's going to act. And I think when you look at people who pursue Jesus, you understand that Jesus has the ability to do whatever he wants, whenever he wants, in whatever way he wants. He's not going to do things the way that we anticipate. Here's, here's the application to take away the stuff that's important to us today. Jesus knows what you're going through. No matter where you are, no matter what's going on, no matter how good it is, how bad it is, how ugly it is, Jesus knows what you're going through. He knows the real issues of your heart. He knows what it is that's holding you back from pursuing him wholeheartedly. He knows. He loves you with an incredible intensity. Jesus is the one who looks in your eyes and says, I love you. I was willing to go to the cross for you. If we're serious about pursuing Jesus, about following him, about being changed by him, about embracing his mission, he's going to take us to places that we never expected. He's going to take us to have us do things that we never thought we'd do. He's going, to, he's going to use us in ways that we never thought that would be used. He's going to have us say things we never thought we'd say as we pursue him. And again, you know, if you think you've got Jesus figured out, I'd just say to you, give up now. Because he's, he's going to blow that image up completely. My Jesus came to save, not to condemn. My Jesus was gentle to the humble and broken, but fiercely clear about what was at stake with people who wanted to follow him on their own terms. My Jesus is complex, and he is not easy. He will challenge you to do things that you've never done, to go places that you've never gone, to act in ways that you've never imagined. My Jesus wants our all. He wants your all. Not whatever we can work into our busy and important schedules. He doesn't just want a piece here or there. He wants it all. My Jesus is not grateful for people who pay lip service to him, who say, you know what, I go to church. I'm a good person. I pray before meals sometimes. I read the Bible occasionally. Jesus isn't about lip service. He wants our all. Jesus loves people who pursue him, who pursue truth. Let me, let me just say this for a second. I want North Point to be a place that is all about pursuers. That it's a place where people are pursuing Jesus wholeheartedly. And if that's not where you are, I hope that you're here because you're pursuing truth. 
that you're trying to figure out how to make sense of it all. You're not, maybe you're not bought into, the, in, into Jesus, into the Bible, and all that, but you're here pursuing truth. If that's the case, you're in the right place because the truth will lead you to Jesus. The truth will lead you to see with clarity. I, I've been using the word pursue a ton. That, the, the word pursue in the Greek, it, it's the word for follow. It means to imitate, to be like someone. So when it talks about followers of Jesus, it was pursuers of Jesus. They were the ones who wanted to be like Jesus, who wanted to imitate him. So what do you do with today's message? Let, let, me, let me just ask some questions. Do you want Jesus more than anything? That's where it starts. Do you want to pursue him no matter where he leads? No matter what he leads you through? It's, and some of us, man, are going through just really difficult stuff. Do you want to pursue him no matter what? Third question do you trust that he wants what's best for you? Jesus didn't give a detailed plan. He just said, follow me, pursue me. Uh, can I share just as we close um, two of my favorite pictures of Jesus, my favorite paintings of Jesus? When I was 14 or 15, I saw the picture on the left for the first time. I was captured by this image of Jesus as a real person. No halo, no supernatural glow, no robe that looked like it had been bleached white. This picture captured a real guy with disheveled hair and a dirty neck and eyes that were sincere and yet kind, serious, but also not very far from just breaking into laughter. The picture on the right was painted by Akiana Kramerick when she was eight years old. Eight years old. She wasn't raised by parents who believed in God, let alone Jesus. But as a young girl, she had visions of God and Jesus and heaven that she didn't know anything about. Her parents hadn't taught her. Her parents were an atheist and an agnostic. And so for them, as she began to talk about her visions and began to use um, her ability to draw, it was troubling for them. Some of, you, some of you know that painting from, from the book or the movie, Heaven is for Real. When the little boy Colton that, uh, that experienced uh, an emergency appendectomy, that, and it tells the, his story in the book, when Colton saw that picture that uh, Kiana um, had painted of Jesus, he said, Dad, that one's right. That's what Jesus looks like. The thing I love about that painting is the eyes of Jesus. They seem to be able to see right through you. He seems to be able to look into your heart, to look past our excuses, to look past our circumstances. I look at that picture and I hear Jesus say to the disciples, you don't want to leave me too, do you? And I hear Peter's voice saying, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. I look at that picture and I hear Jesus say, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what will it profit a man if he gains the whole world and forfeits his soul? That's my Jesus.
Let's pray. God, we don't want to settle. Satan whispers in our ears all the time, Lord, that it's okay to have one foot in both worlds. It's okay to live for ourselves and to try and live for Jesus. He distracts us, God. He takes our focus off you in any way that he can. God, I thank you for these four encounters with Jesus as people pursued him that, that teach us who Jesus really is, that teach us the heart of Jesus. God, I pray for people right now who are broken and a mess and think there's no way Jesus would choose me. God, let them let hear in his encounter with Zacchaeus, with the centurion, that you want us each desperately. God, there are lots of us here that relate to the rich young ruler, that relate to the wannabes. And we're, and we're trying to do it on our own terms. God, help us to hear your voice, Jesus' voice with clarity to take up our cross and follow you. Follow him. In his name we pray, amen.